All right, let's pray for Grace and for Albania and thank God for all the things that she got to do, her team got to do, and for what God's doing there. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you uh, did in Albania, uh, all that you're doing now. Uh, We thank you for the team uh, from TMU that got to go and to do ministry there, to support the Kramers, to Uh, Support the work uh, that you are doing uh, through Mario and through other uh, ministries, other churches that are there. And we pray that right now that you would be working, uh, that your word would be preached and uh, people would believe, the youth, the kids, the adults, um, that they would believe in your son, that they would walk with you, that they would join your family and so we pray for the seeds that that team planted, uh, that, are, uh, that they watered, that you would cause the growth. And so we lift Albania into your hands. Uh, we lift um, the churches all over the world um, that are meeting on Sundays to uh, gather, to pray together, to sing together, to open the word of God together, to fellowship together. We pray that you're you would be glorified all over the world right now, um, and especially here at San Francisco Bible Church, uh, that we would um, open your word, that we would um, be convicted by it, uh, each one of us, and that we would be uh, grown more like your son today. And so we lift up this time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Growing up, my family would go camping every summer. And one of the things that we did in choosing the location of where we camped was we looked for a nice location by a lake. And the reason we did that is because my uncle would often bring his boat. And one of the things that we loved to do with this boat was inner tubing. Now, if those of you who have never inner tubed, let me explain what it is. You get on an inner tube, like a flotation inflatable circle, and it has these handles. And, the ha- and this inner tube is connected and attached to the back of a boat with a rope. And the boat will drive around the lake, and the people on the inner tube, there's a person on the inner tube, and they'll ride behind the boat. Now, you may be thinking, this inner tubing sounds relaxing, like a lazy river. Right? You're just gliding around on a tube behind a boat on a lake. And theoretically, it could be relaxing, I guess. But that wasn't the way that we did it. We made it a competition. We wanted to see how long you could hold on for. So whoever was driving the boat drove in such a way that the boat would create massive waves around it. And whoever drove would also drive in such a way that the inner tube would slide left and right, right into those waves that the boat had just created. Every inner tube ride was a test. It was a test of endurance. When you got into that inner tube, as soon as the boat started, you clung to the handles for dear life. The ride wasn't about doing anything fancy. It wasn't about us trying to do tricks or flips. It was about clinging on for as long as you could. 
because you are about to be tossed left and right, hitting wave after wave, and your goal was just to hold on. Inner tubing was all about endurance, and so it is with the Christian life. The Christian life isn't about doing any fancy tricks or flips. It's not about being rich or famous. The Christian life is about holding on. And it's that Christian endurance that James will teach us about this this morning in our passage. So turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Now, before we dive into our text, let's get some quick background information on our writer, James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he was, James, was one of the main leaders of the Jerusalem church. And so James writes to believers that are dispersed throughout all the known world. And for the most part, those believers dispersed are suffering. Some of them are scared because they are currently being persecuted for their faith. Some of these believers are just suffering in normal life situations, going through difficult times. But either way, James writes to a people that are struggling with trials. And so James hits the ground running in his letter, addressing the topic of trials. And in order to do so, James gives us two commands essential for Christian endurance. Two commands essential for Christian endurance. Let me give you both this morning. The first command is to enjoy trials in verses 2 to 3. The second command is to enjoy the effects of trials in verse 4. Enjoy trials in verse 2 to 3, and enjoy the effects of trials in verse 4. So let's look first at the first command. Enjoy trials, verses 2 to 3. Let's read that. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now let's take this step by step. Let's define some of these common churchy words. What is a trial? A trial is a person or a thing or a situation that tests your faith. It's something difficult that you have to endure. A trial could be a hard season of life. Maybe work is particularly difficult right now. Maybe the hours are long and grueling. A trial could be a difficult person. It could be a coworker who gets on your nerves or a boss that micromanages. Or a trial could be difficult home life. It could be difficulty with uh, with parents, with your siblings. It could be difficulty with your children. A trial could be health issues, chronic pain. Maybe you got a new diagnosis. Or maybe someone you know, a loved one, Just got a new diagnosis. A trial could be losing a loved one. A trial could be financial difficulty. Maybe you're not sure how you're going to make ends meet. A trial could take many different forms, but one thing is true. We will all face trials. 
Some are going through it right now. Some in this room, some in our church, someone that we know are going through it right now. And some of us, our trial will come in a few days. Maybe for some, it's farther down the road, but what is true is that trials are coming. Trials are inevitable. They're a type of suffering that is inevitably coming and we will have to endure. Now, James is not talking about one specific type. He's not just talking about persecution or another type of trial. When, when James is talking, he says various trials. The word various is a Greek word that the Septuagint also uses for the many colors of Joseph's robes. It's multicolored, many colors. So that's what James says when he means various. He means that James is saying that as Christians, we will face trials of all sorts of colors. Trials will come in all shapes and sizes in our lives or in each other's lives. They may look very different. Instead of trail mix, it's trial mix. That was my one pun of the morning. James is warning us. You're on an inner tube, and technicolor waves are trying to knock you off. And as Christians, you need to endure. You need to hang on. And so James, he says, when that happens, when waves of life come and try to knock you off, James says to count it as joy. Other translations may say consider it. And that's because enduring trials is a matter of perspective. When, he, when James says to count it as joy, to consider it joy, it means to think of it as joy. When you enter a trial, the first thing that you need to activate is your mind. You need to orient your thinking. You need to consider it, think of it as joy. And in that moment, when you can start to consider it as joy, that's how suffering transforms into worship. It's not because suffering is something happy that we want to go through, but it's that suffering is actually an avenue of life in which we can worship because you can worship through your suffering if you have the right perspective, if you have the right attitude, if you approach your suffering As worship, you will have the right attitude. And that means that we start to take the gaze off of ourselves and place it onto who God is. Because you can go through trials with a self-pitying attitude. Or you can go through trials with an attitude of worship. An attitude that says, how can do I give God, how can I give God glory in this situation? With that kind of perspective, With that kind of thinking, that's when your suffering has transformed into worship. And so, because we can worship God, even in the midst of a trial, James says to count it as joy. So what do I mean by joy? Let me first clarify. When James says count it as joy, or when I say enjoy trials... I don't mean that you pretend that you like it. This doesn't mean that when something bad happens, you act happy. 
This isn't to say that if someone punches you in the face, you say, yay, that felt good. What, I'm, what I am saying is, when you face some difficult person or a difficult situation, when you face a trial, you face it with joy. Because joy is much deeper and more meaningful than happiness. Happiness is an emotional response to something good. Joy is a choice. Joy is a conscious decision to be joyful. As one pastor says, joy is not an emotional response to the situation. Joy is an emotional response to the truth of God in the situation. Let me repeat that. Joy is not an emotional response to the situation. Joy is an emotional response to the truth of God in the situation. Happiness is based on the situation, and that situation can always change. Joy is based on the character of God, and as we know, that never changes. So joy is much deeper than happiness because it can encompass a multitude of emotion. In other words, you may feel a spectrum of emotions when you encounter trials. And James says, that's okay. You can be sad. You can feel grief. Those are human emotions. In the midst of trials, you may be feeling this sadness and grief and maybe even some confusion. But when you face those, it's all under the umbrella of joy. James is saying, when the waves of life are battering you, while you do feel other real human emotions, to make the willful decision to count it as joy. And so you may be thinking, James, that's so easy to say, it's easy to hear, but how? How in the world am I able to do that, to count it as joy? And the answer is, we can do it, Because Jesus did it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. We're going through the book of Hebrews, so this should be familiar to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize us with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive and find grace to help in, in time of need. So the writer Hebrews and James, they're not saying just grin and bear it and pretend to be happy. That's not what he means by count it as joy. James is calling us to be like Jesus. Jesus suffered. And he suffered in greater ways than we can ever imagine, and yet Jesus endured. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Peter writes, if, you, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, 
Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Our example is Jesus. He walked the steps before us. He is our example of what it means to suffer yet endure. And if you look at the verse three, uh, verse 23 of verse Peter, it says, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus went through trials, he went to the Father. That's our example. When we go through trials, we go to our Father. We go to, and we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Jesus is our example. Jesus endured trials, persecution, hardship, pain, and suffering, rejection from people. Jesus suffered, and yet he endured. And he is our example of what it means to go through trials and for it to be worshipped, to go through trials, and for yet for us to go to our Heavenly Father, to run to him. He is our example. But inevitably, there's a question as we go through trials, as we're trying to endure. Inevitably, a question pops into our head. And that question is, why? Why me? Why should I count it as joy? And so James gives us the reason in verse 3. James chapter 1, verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James says that trials are a testing of your faith, and that will produce endurance or steadfastness. It's like exercise or running or weightlifting or any sport that you choose. The Christian life is a training ground. And so ask yourself the question, will you get faster, stronger, or better at a sport by sitting around all day? No. If you have a good coach, that coach will push you to make you faster and stronger. They'll make you run laps that you don't want to run. They'll challenge you with drills or activities or workouts that are hard, that will cause some pain. But you won't get faster or stronger or better at your sport if you're just half asleep all day. You need to train. And in a sport, that training will be literal sweat and literal pain. But for the Christian life, we also have training. The testing of our faith is a daily workout. Sometimes a workout is small. Sometimes it's big. But for all of them, all the workouts go towards the goal of enduring, of holding on. A small workout may be a friend or a sibling or a parent getting on your nerves. A bigger workout may be a friend betraying you or something at work, losing your job. A huge workout Maybe a loved one telling you that they may pass away soon. 
Those are the regular things in life that we go through that are a testing of our faith. The smaller workouts get us ready for the bigger workouts. The smaller trials train us for the bigger ones. But slowly, but slowly and surely, our faith builds up. We get stronger in our faith. And eventually, as we grow, we're able to take on that 300-pound trial of life. And so that's what James means when he says, the testing of your faith produces endurance. The word here, testing, is a Greek word that means the process of determining the genuineness of something. And here, James is talking about faith. But this Greek word could also be used about testing metals. In the ancient world, they they had this word that they used in order to talk about the genuineness of a metal. That they would test it to make sure that it didn't that it wasn't an alloy, that it didn't have things mixed in, that it wasn't impure. They had to test it to see if it had any junk. So they would take the metal, like silver, and then they would heat it up. In those days, and even now, silver is hard to find by itself. It's often mixed with other metals or rocks, and that's why Scripture uses the idea of purifying silver so much because it's often mixed up with a lot of different things. Silver, there's sometimes rocks that contain silver, and it doesn't even look like it's valuable. It looks like a a regular piece of ore, a regular rock. And in order to get it to be pure silver, you have to crush it up and melt it. You need extreme heat to allow the common metals to be separated from the precious ones. But you need to take out the impurities. And this is how God purifies us. This is how God purifies his people. It's through trials, difficulty, persecution. This is the extreme fire that God puts us through in order to refine us. This is how God refines his people. This is how God refined Israel. If you go back to Isaiah 48 verse 10, it says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. When God wants to refine his people, he puts them in a furnace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God doesn't put us through trials, the fire of trials, because he's mean or vindictive. God puts us through trials to make us better. When you purify gold or silver, you turn a piece of junk into something beautiful, valuable, and useful. And so for us as the Christians, sin is the grimy junk that is attached to our character. And God is trying to burn off the grimy sin. And when he does that, our character, our character is more beautiful, valuable, and useful. And God does that not because he's mean, but because he loves us. Because you only purify something when you find it valuable. 
If I were to walk out onto the street and find some of the recent construction on Terravelle, and I look at some of the, the bricks or the asphalt that they have uh, kind of separated and they have broken up and they just leave around on the floor, if I were to take one of those rocks, would I go and try to purify that and try to find some silver or gold? No. Because that piece of asphalt, that rock, that common rock, is not worth anything. It's not valuable. I wouldn't waste my time trying to find silver or gold in it. It's not valuable to me. So God, because we are his children, because we are a part of his family, God loves us. We're already valuable to him. We're beautiful to him. And yet he sees us as this piece of ore that is valuable but needs to be refined. And you only refine that which you already find valuable. And so God, because he loves us, because he cares about us, because we're a part of his family, because we already are, we have been saved through his son, because we have the righteousness of Christ, we are already valuable to God. But God wants to see us more refined, more beautiful and valuable and useful. And he wants to make us more so. That's why we endure trials. That's why we go through trials. It's because God loves us enough to refine us. And it tests our faith, but it makes us stronger. Every time we go through the furnace, our faith gets stronger. And so that's why we can consider it joy when we face trials, because God is using that fiery furnace to strengthen us. And then we move to our second command in verse 4. Enjoy the effects of trials. Let's read that. James chapter 1 verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be found perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In verse 3, James tells us that trials produces endurance. And now in verse 4, James saying, and endurance produces completeness. Enduring makes you perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. James here is talking about the end goal of enduring. The end goal of trials is to make you whole. Because for James, one of the other themes of his book is the double-minded man. A fragmented person, a person who is tossed to and fro by the waves of life. What makes us fragmented? It's our sin. Our sin makes us this disjointed person. But when the trial, the fire of trial, uh, when we go through that, what it does is it purifies us and it makes us perfect. It makes us whole or complete. Trials burn off the common metals, the junk, the impurities that allow the pure metals to come together to be unified. To be a perfect person. But this doesn't mean that on this side, James doesn't expect that we will be a perfect person right now on this side of heaven. But what James is saying is that's your trajectory. That's where you're headed to be a complete whole person, not this double-minded man. And so every trial is, is supposed to be making us purer and purer. 
But the fact is, James understands that we will never be 100% pure on earth. But every trial gets us one step closer. For the sake of this sermon, I wanted to see how uh, silver was actually purified. I wanted to see how this process went. Because when you read it in a book, it sounds pretty easy. That you have this piece of silver, this maybe junk piece of ore, and you have to just heat it up, and then all of a sudden all the metals come off, and the silver's together, and it's perfect, and it looks really nice, and it's a piece of jewelry, and it's, it's, it's great. I thought it was easy. And then I wanted to see, like, is it that easy? And so I watched a guy purify silver, and it's not easy. And it's not quick. I started to watch him, and he had to melt it over and over again. He had to mix in this and that. He had to mix in other metals and other chemicals in order to separate the different common metals and the other impurities out of the silver. He had to try various methods. He had to use different kinds of furnaces at different times, all in order to separate the silver over and over again. And by the end... The silver looked pretty shiny and nice, and what I actually expected silver to look like. At first, it, d- it just looked like a piece of rock. But now, oh, this is what I imagined silver to look like. But even then, when I looked at it, I thought to myself, you know what? This is probably still not even pure enough to be jewelry. It looks like what I expect silver to be like, but I bet you can't sell this to a jeweler yet. You still probably got to refine it even more. And I was thinking, how many times would someone have to do this? How many times do you need to place that thing in the furnace in order to separate out all the junk? And that's us. That's our character. We are like that piece of silver. Think about how much sin you have still in your life after all these years. It's as if God is thinking, well, I got to heat up this life again, just a little bit more in order to get a little bit more sin out. And then that trial is ended. And a little while longer, it's like, well, there's still some left. So I need to heat up this life again in order to get a little bit more sin out. And the reality is that we will never be 100% without sin on this earth But that's the amazing thing about heaven. Is that when we get to heaven, we will one day have a body and a character that is 100% pure. And that's our trajectory. That's where we're headed to. That's the complete whole person that we are headed to. God is the one who will give us new bodies. And the effects of salvation will be complete. And so James is not expecting us to ever be perfect on this side of heaven, but he does expect that we will endure trials and that will make us a little bit more pure than we were yesterday. So the word perfect is more about the standard than our ability to reach it. The word perfect and complete show us what our goal is. And our goal is to be like Jesus. James does not expect us to look like Jesus right now, but, he's, but James is saying Jesus is the standard. The standard for every Christian is Jesus. And so that every day that we are going through trials, every day of life, we are striving to reach that goal, 
to look more like Christ every day, to look more like Christ than we did yesterday. And so some of you will say, I am already spiritually mature, and that may be true. And to you, I would say, keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep going through that trial. Could we keep going, pressing on through life? Because the standard of maturity is not the one person sitting next to you. The standard of spiritual maturity is not the pastors. It's not the most devout believer in the world. The standard of spiritual maturity is Jesus. And the question is, are you there yet? And the answer is no. And so we keep striving towards that. We keep going towards that trajectory to look more like Christ each day because that's the standard. And so James even knows that we can't get there. And that's why in the next passage, he says, if you can't get there yourselves, which is what everyone is saying, then ask God for wisdom. And so that's not what we're going to go into this morning, but just so if you wanted to further your study and and read past our passage this morning, James says, if you can't get there, if you need spiritual maturity, which we all do, go to God for wisdom. So he knows the bar is set high because the bar is set at Jesus. But that's why that our hope is heaven. Because if we believe in the saving work of Jesus, if you have placed your faith in that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins and rose again, if you believe that in your heart, you will become part of God's family And now you have the hope of heaven, that you are headed towards this 100% pure person when you get to heaven. That God will give you a perfect body. God will give you a glorified body and he will eradicate sin. And that's when we will be 100% whole. That's the effect of endurance. The result of enduring till our final breath is the fact that we will reach 100% when we get to heaven. When we reach heaven, endurance's full effect will, will come if we've held on, endured to the end. So the goal is to let God do the work of perfecting us when we get to heaven. And our goal is just to hold on. It's to get to the end of life. And God says to each one of us, good job. You've held on to your inner tube. You've made it through the stormy waves. And at the end, when we've got to our dying day, God is the one who completes this work in us, making us whole, lacking in nothing. And some of you are thinking, that's great. I want that hope. I want to endure to the end. I want to worship God through enduring. I want to to worship God in the midst of this trial. But how can I possibly hold on? How can I do it? And so Paul will give us some insight. Paul gives us some insight in enduring sufferings. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, he writes, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
So we're going through a trial, and it's hard. And you're asking, how can we endure suffering? And the answer is, because God's love through the gospel has been poured into your heart. That if you believe that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, and you believe that he rose again, then God's love has been now poured into your hearts. And now what fills you up is the Holy Spirit who empowers you. This is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit empowers you, and God's love, the Father, has been poured into, your, into you, into your heart. And so you ask the question, how can I endure this trial? And the answer is, because the whole Trinity is helping you do so. James is not asking us to pick ourselves up, to dust ourselves off, put on a fake smile, and just grind out a trial. James is asking us to put the full weight uh, and the full burden of our trial and to rest it on the truth of who God is. So the key to enduring trials is the gospel. It's the gospel. It's God's love that empowers us, that gives us the strength to endure And so James is saying, this is the perspective that we ought to have. This is what it means to worship God in the midst of our suffering. This is what it means to consider it joy when we face trials of various kinds. And so the question is, for all of us, including myself, is this the perspective that we have today? Trials are like a desert. When you're going through it, and some of you guys are going through it right now, and if you are, it's like a desert, and all you want is a cool drink of water. And so if you're in the midst of that right now, I hope James' words that this this morning is a refreshing drink to your soul. That whatever you're going through, That you can look to James and say, even though I'm going through something very difficult right now, and I don't know how I'm going to manage, I'm running to Scripture. I'm running to James. I hear the words of James. I hear the words of of the psalmist. And it's like a refreshing drink to my soul. But if you're not going through that now, I would ask that you fill up your hydro flask with the gospel right now. That as the trial is coming, the desert is coming, and you're going to need that refreshing drink. You're going to need to remember the words of James to count it as joy. You're going to need to lean on the gospel to run to the shelter of God the Father. Because deserts are coming. I don't know when. For you individually, I don't know when. Maybe you're going through it now, or, or maybe it's coming down the road. But trials are on their way. The desert is coming. And we need these words of James to endure the heat that is purifying us, but yet is still hard. It's still difficult. So for us to train up now, 
to fill ourselves up now with the word of God, to fill ourselves up with the truth about who God is so that when our trial comes, we are ready. We are ready to endure. We are ready to hold on. And so that is my prayer for us this morning, that when the waves of life come crashing down, we all hold on. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person here. I don't know exactly what's going on in each one of their lives. But I'm sure there's someone here that's facing a trial. Or may get one this week. And we will all face it eventually. And so I pray that you would all, that you would train us now. Build us up now so we're ready for the storms of life. For my brothers and sisters who are going through it right now, I pray that they would endure. That you would be their strength, their rock. That the Spirit would be giving them and empowering them the strength to endure this trial. As worship to you. That their faith would get stronger. They would become more pure in their, in their faith and their love for you. And we pray that you would help refine us to look more like your son each day. But I pray that you'd be with us in the midst of those trials. I thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.